Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. This is Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media, where we monitor and engage thought leaders in the innovation space, from ACOs to IDNs, and the ecosystem aspiring to enable their success. And welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hello, Greg. Great to be on the show today. Looking forward to talking with Griffin. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm, and the father of the Medicare annual wellness visit. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management, the editorial board of Population Health News, and the Best Practices Review Panel for the Institute for Medicaid Medicaid Innovations at Medicaid Health Plans of America. Fred is known on Twitter as at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy guidance for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.center. Do follow me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru. And now for today's special guest, an insightful and passion-driven clinician, entrepreneur, and digital health innovator, Griffin Myers, MD, MBA, is co-founder and chief medical officer at Oak Street Health. Dr. Myers is a board-certified physician responsible for excellence of healthcare delivery at Oak Street Health. Oak Street Health is a growing organization of value-based primary care centers serving adults on Medicare headquarters in Chicago. At Oak Street Health, Dr. Myers has successfully guided the company's growth into additional markets and explores additional partnerships to broaden the company's reach. He has built the medical group and helped to develop the innovative care model at Oak Street. He is a frequent speaker and publisher on behalf of the company and a rising voice in the healthcare industry. And with that truncated version of an extensive CV, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know this rising star and the innovative practice he's brought to market at Oak Street Health. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, Griffin, it's a pleasure to have you on Pop Health Week. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it was great to first meet you, obviously, after the Population Health Colloquium and learn a little bit more about what you're doing with Oak Street. And we've been sort of discussing this for a while, and obviously it's an area you're in. This whole concept of primary care beginning to take take some leadership and say, hey, we really should be this linchpin in it. People talk about it. Can you sort of discuss your definition of direct primary care and then how you've implemented that? Yeah, so it's it's a little funny when you ask me the first question and I'm going to change the question a little bit. Um, sure. You know, you asked me about, about direct primary care. And, mm-hmm. and I think the first thing is just, you know, if you're going to get to know Oak Street, you, you got to get to know us through our mission. Um, and the mission at Oak Street was to rebuild healthcare as it should be. 
And with that, we think it should be three things. We should be personal. Uh, and when we say personal, we mean evidence-based. We think it should be equitable. And that means everybody who, who comes to see us should get that same evidence-based standard. And the last is, is that it should be accountable, meaning we shouldn't thrive unless our patients thrive. And so when you start with that mission, you know, that sort of informs that, that we think that primary care needs to change. And, and you mentioned direct primary care. Um, you know, that, that is one of many models that work, we think, obviously, and, and we're biased. We think the Oak Street model is, is the best version of that. Um, and it's interesting. There's plenty we can talk about, but, but primary care is a piece of what we do at Oak Street. We think of ourselves more as a social determinants practice than a primary care practice. Um, and we can get into that model, but I think the best way to get to know us is to start with that, our mission, which is to rebuild healthcare as it should be. And, you know, you, you touched on a couple of really interesting points that we can get to as we go into this. Your, your practice is focused in a specific area, which is, is I, as I understand it, Medicare and the duals uh, in that. And you, in essence, take uh, global capitation as your reimbursement methodology, which then I would assume allows you to deliver many of these other services. Is that sort of how you looked at that? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I um you're right in, in the model. Uh, we're a full risk practice. Uh, the, the mechanism of that is uh, through a global capitation. Uh, we very intentionally, as I mentioned before, one of our, one of our core values is around health equity, and we very intentionally uh, locate our centers in low-income communities that are often medically underserved, and that's very intentional on our part from a mission perspective. You know, and, and like I said before, you, you said primary care, and that's right, we do primary care. Uh, we do a lot on top of that. And that's why we, we use that term because it's an easy term. You, you also, you just mentioned a second ago that we're, we're value-based and that's true. Um, we think that if you're gonna deliver on that mission of rebuilding healthcare as it should be so that it's personal, equitable, and accountable, you can't do that in a fee-for-service model. And it means that for us to pay for the things that we know to be right for our patients, um, we use that global cap model to free ourselves from the requirements of fee-for-service medicine and think more about value for patients rather than value for coders. And so could you give some examples, which I know I've seen like on your website, et cetera, about the additional services? Because you do really look at that patient completely and the sort of things you layer in to help them that are beyond, say, the typical fee-for-service practice. Yeah. And and. I love your question. I also will tell you, I know we've got a half hour, so I'm going to structure this in a way that we don't spend 45 minutes on one question. Um, sure. You know, at Oak Street, the way that we think about uh, caring for our patients is really across a life cycle. And that starts with strangers who don't know anything about us, many of whom have many good reasons not to trust the healthcare system, haven't previously had access to primary care, and don't may not even know what primary care is and how it works. Take that person and help them get to know us, get to know primary care, understand our services, frankly, understand the benefits that they can enjoy through their Medicare and Medicaid benefit, um, get them enrolled into a care program that they can understand and participate with, support them, and then get them to a steady state where they're receiving high-quality evidence-based care and enjoying the outcomes. And, and so just to sort of think about that a little bit more, we start with as a primary care practice, like I said, we we have an outreach team that spends time in our communities. Last year did 17,500 community events, merely to let people know that we're around, that we're in the neighborhood, what primary care is, and how to take advantage of that. The next phase is then, once they're in our center, doing a, a structured evidence-based geriatric screening, 
to onboard folks into our care model. And we've done an evidence-based screening now for each of the 43,000 something patients we have the privilege of taking care of to help get them into an evidence-based care plan. Then once they're in our center with that care plan supporting them, and that's everything from insurance advisory to, because again, we're, we're not a health plan, we don't sell health plans, but we want people to have options and to explore their options in an informed way, and we support them there. And then obviously, what's something I imagine you'll want to spend some time on is what are the clinical services we provide? Well, naturally, we spend a lot of time on primary care, but we also, also offer medication support, behavioral health in uh, psychiatry, podiatry, some specialty care, um, home visits, transportation to and from our centers, uh, all kinds of things to be sure that when somebody has an evidence-based care plan, they got the best chance of, of staying consistent with it. And then the last thing that I'd say is we, we as much as we, we want to be uh, perfect for our patients, we've cut the hospital admission rate by over 40%. We still have patients in the hospital. We have a very robust program we've built uh, based upon best evidence to help our patients who are in the hospital and in transition, uh, help them have the best chance of getting home safely and not returning to the hospital. So any one of those things you want to dig into, we'll be happy to, but we have a, a very structured model uh, around that patient life cycle. Yeah, and I know as part of your structured model, I, I read some of this, you had an article you published a couple of years ago and talked about these four levels of assessment for risk and how, could you get into some of that and what sort of things you're using in that risk model to say, this is why we're putting this person in the high risk bucket? Sure. L let me, let me tell you about the, the, the triage bucket as we call it, or mm -hmm. the tiering program. And then let me talk about what that means for our patients. So uh, we, we very early on recognized that what we need to do is match resources to need. And the way to do that, I'm an emergency doc by training. The way we do that there uh, is through triage. We do a very similar exercise here. It's never finished. It's an always iterative process, but um, patients are assigned to one of four buckets. Uh, these buckets are based upon the American Hospital Association status terms of good, fair, serious, and critical. You've often heard those on the news before. Mm -hmm. Someone will say X celebrity is in the hospital listed in this condition. We use those four status terms very specifically as they're non-judgmental terms that teams are familiar with. That being said, while there is science, there's also art to it. So now I want to talk about what this, how patients are, are bucketed. Number one, and, and most importantly, is the wisdom and expertise of our care teams. Uh, accountants don't let us, but if we could capitalize on, on our balance sheet, the, the expenditures we have on, on salaries of care providers, that would far and away be the biggest line item, most expensive and most valuable thing we have. And so the wisdom and expertise of our teams is the number one item that goes into that. That being said, because of the, the data infrastructure we have and all of the different ways that we collect data and can generate insight, we are able to participate in a systematic way with our care teams and moving people up or down on that list. And once somebody's in that bucket, we found both retrospectively and prospectively that tiering is going to determine a lot for patients. It's predictive of hospital admission rate, of readmission rate, um, of, of a whole bunch of, of things that we find to be correlated with patient outcomes. So we know the model works. So once somebody's in a bucket, what, what happens to them? Well, that tier is gonna determine a bunch of things, but really two things. Number one is their visit cadence. We think a lot about this idea that care is episodic. Patients are not always in front of us, but patients who are at higher risk, we need to see more often. And so for example, our sickest 5% of patients, on average, we see 19 times a year. I'll remind you the Medicare average is three. And so what that means for us, we're, we're able to 
very deliberately invite those folks to join us in the center. When they can't, we'll send the complex care team out to their home. And one of the things we joke about as a team is no matter how sick someone is, you know, when you take one of the great Oak Street providers and we give them 19 times a year to get to know somebody, that person's going to experience better health care outcomes. That being said, the healthiest 30%, we're going to see them five or six times a year. And it's a totally still far more than the average. But what we're trying to do is match resource to need. And the first thing that tier determines is visit cadence. The second is access to other evidence-based services. The best example I can give you is care management. We have an in-house delegated care management program and a 65-year-old retiree, triathlete, investment banker, uh, that person doesn't need a care manager. And we're going to be sure that we take great care of them, but that the care managers are spending time on other folks for whom that, that intervention is going to be more valuable. But that's, that's the, the sort of three-minute version of how we think about triage, tiering, and ascribing resources to need using that system, uh, informed by both clinical, clinical experience as well as, as data-driven insight. Yeah, it's really taking a, a population health framework and saying hey, we're going to lay this on top with the evidence and stratify, you know, assess this population, risk stratify them, and then engage them and intervene them depending upon how that that whole risk stratification came. You did something else that I found a little bit unique. You you talk about care teams and how you have the team approach with uh, which other people do, but you also mentioned and you talked about data. This clinical informatics specialist you have, and I think you called them ninjas or something like that. Can yeah. you talk about that particularly? Because that's a little bit different than I've, than I've heard from other practices. Sure. I, I would say the first thing to listeners, we published this experience in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst a couple of years ago. So any details that I leave out will be available there. Um, and, and you're right. Historically, we, we went into that term. Now there's, you know, nearly 100 of these folks and they come from all different backgrounds. And uh, internally, we refer to them as clinical informatics specialists. Uh -huh. um, the, the, the logic behind this, just stepping back for a moment, is I, I told you a moment ago that, and I think we all know this, uh, the most important, most valuable part of the healthcare system is the wisdom and experience of, of caretakers. Um, asking those folks to be data entry uh, folks is, is not a great use of their time. Frankly, even if you're just a finance robot, your ROA is not going to be super high if, if your most expensive assets required to do one of your sort of not high skill uh, items. That's the first point. The second point is that, you know, you, you can't practice medicine today as complex as it is uh, without generating and having access to very high quality, high volumes of very complex, high quality data. Uh, you know, I, I am in the camp that says taking care of patients uh, is more complicated than rocket science. And that means doing it well is not something you can wing. And there is certainly art, but uh, we, we've got to have more than art and anecdote in delivering high quality evidence-based care to a population, uh, which is what population health is. And so what that means is we are asking our clinicians not only to use lots of data that we provide them, uh, but also to capture lots of data in a highly structured form. And the best way to do that is train someone who's already very smart, who already cares about patients, who may not be uh, at the point in their career yet where they're a board certified physician, have them do that work. And so we've developed a, a very, very detailed training program, a very specific job description for, for our clinical informatics specialists. And they become the experts in ICD-10 ICD codes, um, in, in the, 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 the EMR that we use in Canopy, which is the 
the home-built uh, web-based tool that we use to guide workflows in our centers. Um, they're an experts in all of the evidence-based quality metrics, including the STARS metrics for, for Medicare and Medicare Advantage. And they can be there at the point of care, not only capturing important information, but also as a partner with that physician playing back, hey, you're about to walk out of the room. It's been you know, 23 months and this woman needs a mammogram today. Uh, you know, let's not forget that. And so it's bi-directional. It's both capturing information, but providing insight at the point of care to improve the quality of our data, but also the quality of outcomes and experience for our patients. And the thing that we never talk about in, in answering this question is that, uh, you know, we went to medical school to sit down with patients, be there when they're suffering and help relieve that suffering by building relationships. And, and that's what this allows them to do. Fascinating. And it really a, a unique way to look at it. I think the, uh, this, there's this, we've talked to a number of folks in the space who have been, you know, doing this um, capitated primary care, global cap primary care in Medicare. We've also got ACO models. You've got Medicare Advantage models. And I know that you had announced the launch of an ACO in January, I think it was. It, do you see that as a space you may want to play in and why? And uh, what do you think the differences are or are there any? Yeah, it, it's, it's such a good question. And it gives me a chance to sort of... Um, share a little bit of the complexity of, of our model. So uh, I'll start with something I said before. You, you said we're a primary care practice, and you're right, um, but, it, but it's bigger than that. It's more than that, and that's the term that we use. And I think, similarly, we, we often are talked about at Oak Street as a practice focused on Medicare patients. And it's true. The overwhelming majority of our patients do have Medicare. Really, uh, we're not a model for people based upon their payer status. We're a model for older adults, with chronic illness, many of whom are living in communities that need better access to care. And, and so while you're right, we do a global cap, full risk arrangement and Medicare Advantage, really over half our patients are dually eligible. So we, we have this similar model with the dual eligible plans. We do have it with Medicare Advantage. You're right, we, we do have our own ACO that we've built here at Oak Street. We actually have full risk Medicaid contracts for special slices of Medicaid uh, that are really focused on this same population. So our population is defined to be a clinically relevant population that needs, needs the, the services that we offer. And I share that with you because I think it has really meaningful implications for really what's underlying your question, which is what does it mean for everybody else? Um, so if I told you we do more than that uh, and the model enables it and, and is the ACO a direction we're going to go, the answer to that is a very big yes with an exclamation point behind it, because what we want to do is take our care model to as many patients as we can serve with it and serve well, and it means that we're going to shy away from patients who don't need our care model. Uh, we don't do prenatal care, for example. We don't do pediatric immunizations, and I think that focus is a massive advantage clinically, but also strategically, and it means that we on, on the inside of Oak Street are going to take on the complexity for our payer and, and health plan partners. Um, so that we can serve our patients seamlessly for them. And the important thing, Fred, that I think is an implication for the rest of the healthcare system is there are probably listeners who are thinking that, listen, we're not getting into this risk-based, value-based stuff until they solve it for us, until they get to the final answer, the simple answer, we're, we're not going to dig in. And I think the really important thing that we've recognized and embraced at Oak Street is this is not simple stuff. There's not going to be a simple answer. There's going to be a million different answers. And if you step up at the highest level, value-based care is about delivering value out of a transaction for a patient. Uh, 
And it means every single opportunity we have at every single interaction in the healthcare system, every transaction, I'd say, uh, has an opportunity to be made more value-based. The example I'll give you is subcapping specialty care, uh, renting hospital beds, bringing certain ancillary services in-house so that they're not paid for fee-for-service. And I think every single interaction, every transaction in the healthcare system has an opportunity to be made more value-based. And that's not simple. That's more complex, but it's absolutely what patients need. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'd also point out that that, that your idea of where you focused your, your efforts, as you said, you're not taking the, the children or the immunization stuff or the OB. Um, it really is because the, the value is in taking out the excesses in those who are getting care. It's not the healthy. It's, it's those. And that's where when you go to a model like you have with a global risk, you're able to then make that better. There's money to be saved in that group. Uh, that's right. You know, one of the things that we often say is what we do at Oak Street is is take suffering uh, and eliminate suffering and make people healthier. And what that means is the sicker somebody is, the bigger the opportunity we have, not only to create value for them in the healthcare system, but also to keep them out of the hospital and generate savings. And we love that we're on the hook and committed to our patients and our neighborhoods to do that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming from a, a Medicaid background with about 20 years in, in doing Medicaid work, I love the fact that you've taken and said, we're going into these populations, we're going into these communities that perhaps many people shy away from, and you're stepping right in there and growing that out. And I think, I don't know, how many practices do you have now? So we have 25 that are practicing today and starting really a couple of weeks from now through the next few months, we'll open 12 more to be at 37. Wow. Fantastic. And you talked a little bit, you said you're doing some full risk Medicaid as well. That's right. It's something that we've been doing for just shy, a little over a year, I believe, uh, really focused in, in what in many states is called the ABD population, the age-blind disabled population, um, something from a mission perspective that's very important to us, and something also that I'd remind, those are folks who clinically uh, are entirely consistent with our mission, our values, and, and the skill set and operations we have at Oak Street. Another way of saying that that's perhaps a little bit less wordy is a 64-year-old with multiple chronic conditions uh, is no different than a 65-year-old who just blew out their birthday candles and now has Medicare. We want to be there to serve those folks. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And as you're growing, is this internally supported? Are you financed or how does that work? Yeah, you know, it's as a private company, we often don't get into too many of those details, but the short version is that we got started at Oak Street, um, supported by a very small group of very mission-based folks who I think in hindsight were insane, uh, but believed in, <laughs> believed in our mission of rebuilding healthcare as it should be, and it should be personal, equitable, and accountable. And uh, that was six years ago, coming on six years ago. Now that we've matured the model and really over large, very diverse populations, very diverse markets, shown every combination of county and plan running a surplus uh, and doing so in a robust way and in a way that frankly is improving from a trajectory standpoint and the consistent growth of the model. Uh, we have high confidence that, that the economic model is, is not only thriving, but going to improve and it's given us comfort that we can invest. And so uh, for what it's worth, we're, we're not, uh, we're not looking for capital. We don't need it. We, we want to put our head down and keep doing what we do for our patients every day. Fantastic. And can you talk a little bit, you've mentioned, you know, this sort of data and the systems you've built. 
how large is that, you know, in terms of your company, this back end to support that operations that, like you said earlier before the call, a typical physician, you know, has uh, somebody doing their accounting or their billing and things. What sort of uh, resources do you have in that area? Yeah, I, I think I think you bring up a really good point, which is this is this is feels what we're talking about feels a little bit different than than, uh, you know, perhaps smaller uh you know, nice people, but smaller, uh, less sophisticated primary care operations. Uh, I would say three things. Uh, number one, I'll admit that it is quite complex. I embrace that complexity. Uh, we embrace it as a team. And really what complexity means is that we are very hungry for every piece of data that we can bring in because with data uh, and smart people, you generate insight. And when you give that insight to well-trained professionals, they can take better care of people. Uh, the second thing is, that complexity looks in, in a lot of different forms. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about technology here, but it's training, uh, it's routines in, in training, it's culture, uh, and it's architecture of how the practice and the entire organization is designed. Our strategy has really been, uh, there is no, you know, people ask me all the time, what EMR do you use? And, and I'm happy to tell people, but that, that's a, missing the point. I mean, I think we, we've had to not only buy a bunch of products, uh, and our strategy is to buy best in class for our delegated care management, for our delegated claims, for our, uh, you know, we have a clinical contact center that's open 24-7 that has its own technology to be able to connect patients with caregivers 24 hours a day. So what we want to do is buy best in class because there is no product designed for a fully value-based primary care practice with, with all of the ancillaries that we have. Uh, that product doesn't exist. So we've got to piece together best in class. And then on top of that, what we've really developed, which is I think at the guts of your question is, we have a, a, a tool at Oak Street called Canopy. Uh, we're big on arboreal metaphors. And Canopy sits, like the canopy of a tree, sits on top of the trunk and all of the roots, all the data sources, so that when our teams log in in the morning, they log into Canopy. And they have web-based tools that may be using various different underlying tools. They may be using the EMR. They may be using the call service. They may be using the, the CRM that we use to get to know folks before their patients. But that allows us to structure workflows seamlessly so our teams can work across silos. And the very last piece, if the first is that, that you've, it's complex, the second is sort of talking about our IT strategy. Um, the third is that if you're going to scale, you have to standardize. And like I said before, um, high quality, high safety medicine comes from high quality, high safety process. And to operationalize that, uh, it has to be standardized. And to do that, it's got uh, to be built and supported by technology. And that's how we really have taken the step from what was initially a couple of clinics to a scaled organization. Fascinating. I know we don't have much time, but I'd like to just touch on this a little bit. Um, you have a unique practice, a unique approach that's really starting to take off, obviously, and, uh, and congratulations on that. When you bring in, obviously, not every practitioner may be able to function in this kind of an environment. What sort of differences do you do you see or do we need to look at from in terms of training uh, our next generation of physicians? Yeah, so the, the first is you said congratulations, and I'll, I'll say um, we got a great team. Uh, so uh, you, you intended that for everybody here that's in the building, yes. but not on the phone with me. Um, and I appreciate that. The, the second is, you know, I got to tell you, uh, I don't want to mean to be too provocative, but I think people often ask, like, what's the special thing uh, at Oak Street in the water that gets people to do this? And look, we're trying to build the best primary care practice in the country. Rebuilding healthcare as it should be cannot require 
top 1% talent at every position because definitionally that's not scalable. So I, I would challenge the premise. I'll tell you, when, when I was applying to medical school and residencies, my personal statement uh, said nothing about RVUs and productivity bonuses. Uh, it was about building relationships with patients and using my knowledge to relieve their suffering and make them healthier. I'll tell you, uh, that's a value that virtually every physician I've ever met shares. And as, as great as our team is, I'll tell you, if what we did at Oak Street was hire the very best people from other places, we got better and they got worse, that's not transformative to the healthcare system. If, however, we take people who share our values, and there are lots of them, and they join us, and we get better because they get better, because the platform helps them get better and helps connect their work with their values, now you have something really special. And I'll tell you, the diversity of our team really speaks to the fact that it's a platform. It's not just people. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today, Griffin. Really a pleasure. and love to get you back on in the future and hear some more about what you're doing. Yeah. On behalf of our team and our patients, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. All I can say is, wow, tons of content there. Going to have to unpack that sequentially uh, post-interview here. But that will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Griffin Myers, co-founder and CMO of Oak Street Health, for his time and generous insights today. Do follow Dr. Myers and Oak Street Health's work on the web via www.oakstreethealth.com and on Twitter via at G-R-I-F-F-I-N-R Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, Griffin R. Myers, and at Oak Street Health, respectively. And finally, if your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media support, including content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, do ping me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru or email Greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. Fred and I will be happy to lend our subject matter expertise to your endeavors. And until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, bye now. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.